Our reading from the letter to the church from the Apostle Paul, written as he is in jail. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. I therefore, a prisoner in the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in all. But each of us was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it is said, when he ascended on high, he made captivity itself a captive. He gave gifts to his people. When it says he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is the same one who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. The gifts he gave were that some would be apostles some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for the building up the body of Christ until all of us come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to maturity, to the measure of the full stature of Christ. We must no longer be children tossed to and fro and blown about by every wind of doctrine, by people's trickery, by their craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we must grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by every ligament with which it is equipped, as each part is working properly promotes the body's growth in building itself up in love. The word of the Lord. It is a joy and an honor to be here with you. Thank you for the gracious welcome to Derek, to Meg, and to Will. I've got to tell you something about your pastor. I'll be nice. Will is known as one of the scholars of the South Carolina Conference in the United Methodist Church. And I had the privilege of serving with him on the Board of Ordained Ministry for the last few years. And to be in a room where he is interviewing candidates in theology and doctrine is quite an experience, both in his ability to dig deep, but to be gentle at the same time. Now, I was told that Will, when I began to serve on that committee with him, that his favorite question to a candidate for ministry in the United Methodist Church was, what is your favorite heresy? Now, I'm told since then that that was a myth, but it makes such a good story, I felt it bore repeating. (laughs) I want to say thank you to you. It's weird when I can't see over something. (laughs) Choir, thank you. Thank you. Um, The music program here is just outstanding, 
And I hope, now, now let me tell you, you are old school Methodist. Do you know why? Because you will sit there with your hands, your arms crossed or your hands in your lap and y'all haven't cracked a smile. <laughs> and let me tell you, when this choir sings, it is something to behold. Absolutely outstanding. And um, to be in a sanctuary like this. I have had the privilege over the years of worshiping and assisting in worship in some beautiful facilities. But this one absolutely takes the cake. And for those of you who have worked so diligently for so long to maintain and to keep in good repair and to make ready for worship this space, let me say a heartfelt thank you to you. Uh, I have been in many a church um, over my career. Sadly, many that forget that it is God's house and seem to begrudge that it needs care and attention. That is not the case with Central United Methodist Church in Florence. Kudos and thanks and blessings to each of you that works so diligently and gives so much, from the chaminade to the beautiful stained glass to the details in much of the woodwork. Um, just, just beautiful. You have maintained your history and yet made this a welcoming place for worship. Again, thank you for that. Paul says, I therefore a prisoner in the Lord. Paul is speaking very literally from this. Paul is at a writing of this letter, a prisoner for his faith. I can't imagine what that must be like to be a prisoner for my faith in God, for my belief in Jesus Christ, for my willingness to preach contrary to the culture. But Paul is under arrest. And he uses a word right off the bat that is foreign to you and to me in our culture. Paul, this leader, this apostle of the church, uses the word, therefore I beg, I beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Now, I don't know about you, just the idea of begging just doesn't, doesn't it want to turn your stomach? Do you like the idea of begging? And you've, we've seen maybe on the news or maybe somebody who has been caught and is begging for forgiveness. Any way you look at that word, Paul is using a very intense word. Guys, for those of you that, that, are, that, that are just as hard-headed as I am, I, I will go to the mat before I give up, before I cry uncle, before I beg for release. It's a foreign word to you and me, but here is somebody who saw a visitation of Jesus Christ, who heard the word of God spoken to him using these words, I beg you. Hard words, and to me it gets my attention very quickly to lead a life worthy to that which you have, to which you have been called. For those of us who are members of the United Methodist Church, who have been baptized, maybe at this font right here in this place, you and I have received, maybe, it, we, took, maybe we were confirmed, and we took for ourselves the words that our parents made, those promises our parents made for us, 
Maybe we came to the font when we were confirmed. Maybe we came as adults. But we heard and received this faith to which we have been called. And we accept that and we come and are brought into the body of Christ through the waters of baptism. We hear these words and Paul is saying, I beg you. But he keeps on going. He says, I'm begging you to live this life with all humility and gentleness. Now, we can hear this word now in the Deep South, and I am a true child of the Deep South. I have not lived anywhere else in my life other than in the South. And I'm not saying this is a brag point, but I was raised in an ethos of to be a gentleman and to be the quintessential southern gentleman. It's how I was raised. My dad taught me this is how you you speak to someone. This is how you treat others. And so we hear humble in a different word, in a different definition than Paul uses here. When Paul is speaking and using this word humility, Paul is speaking to a culture that is this Greco-Roman, to this church in Ephesus and to the other churches of the Mediterranean basin. First, they were under Greek control, and then they became under Roman, and at the time of this writing, still are under Roman control. And power and projected power is what the world understands. And in this world of power, to be a Roman citizen means that you are a step above everybody else. And then once you have attained this citizenship, there are different levels. And so the last thing you want to do is to be humble because it is antithetical to who the culture is. You want to be strong. You want to be proud. You want to be seen. You want to be heard. You want to be understood. And Paul is saying to live your life with humility. Paul is saying to live your life of gentleness. I don't do gentle well. I don't. Um, I was raised, my mom, you need to understand, I come from, I was raised in a very fundamental tradition. And when I say fundamental, I'm talking to the right of Attila the Hun. That's the church in which I was raised. And to be raised in the Fleming household was an intense experience. Mom was a, the best word I can describe, South Alabama, red dirt, sharecropping father, Southern Baptist deacon's daughter. You got a picture? You got a snapshot in your mind? Okay. Dad, dad, raised in uptown New Orleans, only son, doted on, spoiled. And at the end of World War II, this young Southern Baptist girl has come to New Orleans to put herself through nursing school. And at the end of the war, during the celebration of, I don't remember if it was VE Day or VJ Day, she was sitting having a cocktail in the lobby of the Hotel Montleon, and here comes this naval officer in his dress whites. He looked at her, she looked at him, the sparks flew, and the sparks did not happen. And I mean, it was intense. And I don't mean pretty romantic sparks. They fought like cats and dogs for 50 plus more years. (laughs) Gentleness is not how I was raised. If you were sitting at our dinner table and you said something, you better be ready to defend it. 
You better be ready to have your thought, your word, your idea torn apart and taken apart. And it was no holds barred. Voices raised, and, and it, was just, it just wasn't a pretty experience. And I would not wish it on anybody. And so it's the only way I knew how to behave in, in a private familiar. Now, in public, it's like many of you. You go, oh, it is so very nice to meet you. Oh, and you sit there and listen to them tell a story or tell something. In the back of your mind, you're going, I'm hungry. How do I get out of here? It's kind of like many of you are thinking right now, how long is he going to go? But at home, it was intense. Carla, I don't remember if it was while we were dating or long after we had been married. I don't remember what it was over. It doesn't matter. I went to my default setting of when you're in an argument, you go for blood. You go for the jugular. And she cheated. I jump all over her and she starts to cry. Guys, is that not cheating? <laughs> Seriously. You know, because then I mean, it's a different kind of default mechanism. You're the quintessential southern gentleman, and she's crying, and to, to pile on at that point, you're a bully. It's cheating. She's been cheating ever since. <laughs> I just, I can't get a good fight in. So I raised my kids to be like me. I did not. Uh, they are very much like their mother. Gentleness, strength under control. Think of a horse. Think of a well-trained horse. Power, substance, a sense of space. It will intimidate anybody in their space. But yet, with the correct training, moving and and with a slight movement of the rein, a press of the knee, a soft word, a well-trained horse, strength under control. Humility, gentleness, this is what you and I were, how you and I were called to live. You and I are called to be in a relationship of faith in love and to be able to back up in space to and for each other. Making every effort. Think of that word, every. Making every effort. To maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. How many of you were raised in this church? You were born, baptized, married. Your loved ones have been in here since day one. How many of you came from another place, from another state? Maybe from another religious tradition? You, and some of you are going, you can't make me raise my hand no matter what. I'm going to bet you, whether in this church or in a different church, you experienced something that was other than unity. You experience, especially beyond unity when the gospel, when this letter right here says make every effort. With this church as old as it is, with the renovations and the remodeling and the additions to your facility, I, can, I will bet every dollar in my pocket, it's not a lot, but I will bet every dollar that there have been some fights in this church. Oh, I heard that rumble. I've been a part of a church that tore itself up over the color of the carpet in the sanctuary. Kid you not, I wish I was teasing. I wish I was teasing. Make every effort, humility, gentle, every effort to back up and give you your way. Is that not against our culture today? 
Is that not just absolutely opposed to where you and I, anybody read, read or watch the news this morning? Get your newspaper or you got online or you, or you turned the TV on? We live in a very different world, a very different world than we used to. We, you know, it used to be the big three, ABC, NBC, CBS. How many of you remember Walter Cronkite? I do. I was not, I was not old by any means, but the most trusted person in America. We're not there anymore, are we? Here's where I get my news on my phone. And I'm not being silly, and Carla says I'm addicted to it. She said, it's the first thing you do in the morning and the last thing you do at night, and there's a lot of truth to that. You know, I, but, but I have a habit, I have this weird habit, I will try to see how many different news services I can read from. They don't always agree. Let me say something to you in this culture, in this culture of conflict, because that's what we live in. To the Republicans in the room, everybody does not vote like you do. To the Democrats in the room, everybody in this room does not vote like you do. To the independents in this room, you don't care because you're independent. You're going to do what you want to do. We find that same thing within the church. We find that same thing within the church. And when I say church, I'm talking about big C, the church, the, those that believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. We find that worldwide. We can't get along. The church was fractured almost as soon as it was begun. And we have begun fighting and we have continued to fight. No, we're right. No, we're right. No, the carpet should be green. And others say, no, we can make a case that it should be red because, therefore, that is the color of the blood of Jesus. Therefore, everything should be red. I kid you not, heard that fight in a church. You and I live in a world of conflict. You and I live where if you don't watch Fox News or you don't read MSNBC or if you watch CNN because one or the other to the other is fake news. And I'm not here to talk about politics, but I am here to say, church, that you and I are called to be different. And it begins inside the walls of the church. You and I are called to seek unity in fellowship with one another. You and I are called to find a relationship with one another in the bonds of faith. Through the waters of baptism, you and I are brought into the body of Christ. Therefore, we don't belong to my own little self anymore. I don't belong to a political party. I belong to Jesus. And if you took those vows of membership when you were baptized, so do you. You are my brother. You are my sister. You may not like me. I may not like you. However, you and I are called to be one. To be one. Called to the one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. Who, who is above all and through all and in all. I become rather small at that point. Church, you and I are called to be different. This world needs some different right now. Our community needs some different right now. We truly do. Let me tell you why. You and I are called to be equipped 
for the work of ministry. Your pastor has been called to equip the saints, that's you, for ministry. That means they don't do it by themselves. They do it with you. For building up the body of Christ. If you ever hear a pastor and they become divisive and try to split a congregation, you know you are not hearing somebody that is in line with the Word of God. I do not believe that you have had that pastor in your history here. You are a powerful presence within this district, within our annual conference, certainly within this community. Let me tell you, there are churches that have split and split and split, and you find the remnants on little street corners and in, and in storefronts. This church has held together. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for being a witness to the body of Christ in this community. Until all of us come into the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to maturity, to the measure of the full stature of Christ, you and I, in becoming unified and living as one and backing up for the other and bringing the other along with us, hand in hand, arm in arm, word in word, you and I are to imitate none other than Jesus Christ, raised to the full stature of who Jesus Christ is. Giving up myself. Again, Dad, Dad was a seal before they were called seals. Any, uh, any of you that were from that era of the end of World War II that understand, remember military history, it was underwater demolition teams. That was my dad. A man's man. I mean, a fighter. In the latter years of Dad's life, Dad came to faith. And it was an amazing thing to see that transformation. To see this fighter become one who would seek unity, both within the church and within the family. Church, you and I are called to live differently. We live in a world, we live in a nation that is ripping itself apart at the seams. We, as United Methodists, haven't decided if we like each other. There's a strong chance, well, I won't say a strong chance, there is a, there is a chance that five years from now, we will not be United Methodist because that denomination may cease to exist. Because we can't find unity. Because we can't give in to the other. We're working on it. There are those that are trying. Church, I invite you, I beg you, as Paul's words were, to seek that unity. To find it here in these pews, in your workplace, in your schools, in your hospitals, in the streets, when you're talking with others, when you recognize in them that they are a brother or sister of Jesus. Church, I invite you to seek that oneness of faith in Christ Jesus because you and I are called to it. Thanks be to God. Amen.